Hi, I'm Robert Fleming, one of the partners at the Tucson, Arizona elder law firm of Fleming and Curdy PLC. I'm chatting with one of the other partners at our law firm, Elizabeth Noble Rawlings Freeman, in our weekly podcast, Elder Law Issues. Elizabeth, I want to talk today about estate planning and particularly paying for estate planning. So here's my kind of simple problem. I have a child who I really wish they would write a will and powers of attorney. They don't see it as a high priority. Could I just hire you? I'll pay you and tell them to call you and uh, and you send the bill to me. Let's get this done. No, Robert, it really can't work like that. First of all, we really need to have some direction on who our client's going to be. So you calling and saying that we can charge your credit card to do that estate plan it isn't going to work. What we really need is we need the contact, first of all, to be initiated by the person who would be our client. And then when we're meeting with our client, we can talk about what our fees might be and we can discuss if there are issues around payment or concerns around that, how to navigate those. But Robert, in your hypothetical, one of the important things for folks to note is that we have to have full and clear disclosure with our client about who is paying for what. So even Robert, if you called and said, my brother's going to schedule an appointment with you, I wanna leave a deposit of $500 to pay for his estate plan, uh, that also doesn't really work. Again, because we need to talk about exactly what we're gonna be doing and who our client is with your brother. And when we have that conversation, Robert, if there's discussion about payment, we need to know, first of all, we have to say what we're going to charge. We need to have a discussion about how we would be paid and who would pay us. And You know, one of the things that um, would make a parent who's trying to, to get their child to do their estate planning maybe a little anxious is we ethically have to be very clear that, as you say, Elizabeth, the, the client is the person who's creating an estate plan and the confidentiality we owe a client, we owe to that client every bit as much as as their parent when we did their estate plan. So uh, regardless of who's paying, you don't get to participate in the estate plan. You don't get to to direct how the estate plan is going to look. So if you say, I want to send my son, my sister, whomever, to Fleming and Curdy to sign a power of attorney so that I can manage their affairs, well, when we talk to them, they might say that you're not the one that they want to name in their in their power of attorney. And guess what? We can't tell you that. So it makes the whole uh, who's paying, who's the client thing very awkward. There are some specific ethical rules that say we can be paid by somebody else, but we have to be very clear with, with both parties, both the payer and the client, that the client is the client, not the payer. And Robert, usually when I do a fee agreement, I did one recently in a case, what we did is we had a whole paragraph around disclosure that the client reviewed and initialed that said that somebody else, the bills were going to be sent to somebody else and somebody else was going to be making payment on that client's behalf. But the person, the payor, the person who was going to be sending us payment was not the client and we had an initial space, and that was a completely separate provision, Robert, in the fee agreement than the portion of the fee agreement that said whether or not, should there be an emergency, we can release copies of the executed documents. So in that this particular case, the question from our client was, well, well won't you be sending the payor copies of the drafts? And my answer was no. 
that person is not our client. I said, we will be providing an invoice. And Robert, the invoice that I'm going to send is going to be highly sanitized. I'm probably going to redact a considerable amount of the narrative in the invoice because frankly, some of that may be protected by the attorney-client privilege, what we're talking about or if there are specific matters that might be in the billing entry. You know, if you said, uh, Elizabeth, I want you to write a, a will and powers of attorney for my brother, he's gonna name me uh, and, uh, and I'll pay the bill and the brother actually comes in and does exactly what the, what the person says, you're still not going to tell them that it happened exactly the way they intended it to happen, are you? No, Robert, because again, that person's not my client. So getting all of this very clear up front, first of all, with your client, and second of all, making sure that there is proper documentation is important. In the case that I just described, Robert, our client asked me to share a version of the fee agreement that defined exactly what what we were going to charge and the paragraph that stated the person who was going to be paying us was not the client. He wanted me to share that explicitly with the person who would be paying. So there was no uncertainty about that relationship. And I thought that was a good idea. You know, Robert, normally in these kinds of cases, we may have documents that are initialed by multiple parties, but our client in this particular case wanted me to share a redacted version of the fee agreement just so there was no uncertainty about what our client wanted. So answer to the question, can I pay you to prepare a will and powers of attorney for my son, my daughter, my brother? Is Yeah, but not very easy to do, not very popular, or, uh, or often not a good idea, yes? That's correct, Robert, and one thing we did not talk about was the conflict of interest issues around this, particularly if the person who is paying us is going to be a beneficiary of the estate and potentially would have questions around what was drafted and how we drafted it. Things get really complicated when we think about conflicts of interest too. And the reality is most often when we get asked that, it's by an existing client. It's somebody who likes us. We did their estate planning and they think, oh, I'm going to get you to do the same thing for my kids. Um, In my experience, the kids are seldom as motivated to do this as you were. And so just saying, here's some money, get my kids to do an estate plan doesn't help because if they won't make an appointment, they won't follow through, uh, they won't be very clear about what they want. Because guess what? They're 20 to 30 years younger than you and they have different things on their mind. So yeah, we can do this, but it's uh, it often doesn't work very well. Well, that's kind of a downer to end with, but I guess that's the end. That's all we have to say, yes? Yes, it is, Robert. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I'm Robert Fleming, and my my foil has been Elizabeth Noble Rollins Freeman. We're two of the partners at the Tucson, Arizona Elder Law Firm of Fleming & Curdy PLC. You're listening to Elder Law Issues, and we love it when you listen to Elder Law Issues. We hope you'll keep doing it. Thanks.